0: Welcome to Home of the Brave. I'm Scott Carrier. Some listeners have asked for more natural sound effects. So here's the sound of a grizzly bear feeding on a carcass, maybe an elk carcass. One thing we heard a lot while driving around talking to people about grizzly bears was that they're seeing more bears now, a lot more bears now people who live in Jackson Hole, Pinedale, and Cody, Wyoming, people who live in Paradise Valley, Livingston, and Bozeman, Montana, areas along the outer perimeter of the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. The people who live there said pretty consistently they were seeing more and more grizzly bears in the past five to ten years, not coming down into their towns, but out in the country where they go to recreate or hunt and fish or coming onto their ranches. We met an elderly lady, 93-year-old Virginia Anderson, who lived on a ranch in the Tom Minor Basin, just north of the park. Last year, she had a grizzly bear come into her kitchen. She remembers it like a dream.
1: So, I was sitting at, at supper uh, by myself in the house and looked up and saw, saw this sort of black blob sort of oozing big, soft, black, sliding down the wall, because everything happened so close that you just look, one one, one moment you're just eating a sandwich and (laughs) look up and see, a bear, and I just stood there staring, watching it come through, and then I decided I'd better do something, (laughs) and I I ran away.
0: And we met rancher Peter Jahowski, 30 miles east of the park near Cody, who had a mother and two cubs come into his front yard to eat apples from his tree.
1: They'd come in probably after midnight or 2 o'clock in the morning sometime. And what they'd do is they'd just climb up as far as they could, and then they'd break the branches down, and then they could get to the high apples too. And so the whole tree was just collapsed. And uh, I went out back about 6 o'clock, and... Uh, So I'm about 20 feet from the apple tree, and this little bear comes out and pounces up and down on his front teeth and grunts a few times and clacks his teeth.
2: I can remember if you saw a grizzly track in the wilderness, that was a big deal. In the 60s, early
0: 70s. Harold Turner, owner of the Triangle X Dude Ranch in Jackson
2: Hole. Then, if you saw a bear then, my God, you talked about it, you know, all fall long that you saw a grizzly bear. Nowadays, they're everywhere, I mean.
0: And they come all the way down here? What?
2: The bear. Well, for heaven's sakes, yes. I mean, they're all around the ranch here. That mauling was just right back here the other day, and I'm sure it was a grizzly. It was hunters, and the his scalp up and bit him in the back and so forth. He's gonna be fine, but. It's a serious
0: problem, for sure, grizzly bears interacting with people. It's rare for humans to be killed by grizzly bears, but maulings are not uncommon, for, in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem this past September, all hunters. More often, though, it's the bears that end up getting killed. Last year, a record number, 56, were shot, and it could have been more than 100, as many go unreported. This year, so far, is looking worse. So what's going on? Why are more bears coming into contact with humans? There are two explanations, both based in scientific research, but they're actually quite different in what they say about what's happening in the ecosystem. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, the federal agency that manages grizzly bears under the Endangered Species Act, calls it a density effect. That there's so many bears now, they're overcrowded inside the ecosystem, and are expanding outwards into new territory—territory inhabited by human beings. Under this theory, the greater Yellowstone grizzly is doing fine. So well, in fact, that it's time to take the bear off the list of endangered species and return management responsibilities to the states of Wyoming, Montana, and Idaho, which will then allow trophy hunts to control the overpopulation. It's a story of successful management of nature by both the federal and state governments. But in the other explanation, there are not more bears now. There's no overcrowding, the population is not growing. What's happening is the bears are coming down from the mountains to lower elevations to look for food. They used to hang out up high, above 10,000 feet, eating white bark pine seeds, rich in fat to put on weight for hibernation, but now, Due to climate change, 80% of the white-bark pine trees are dead. This version is not about how we're successfully managing the natural world, it's about how we're messing it up, polluting the air, causing temperatures to rise, killing the white-bark pine trees, and forcing the bear to look for other sources of fat and protein. And they're finding it down lower among hunters who leave carcasses of elk and moose, and among ranchers with young cattle. This version is more like nature being out of control or humans being out of control. So, which explanation is the right one? I'm going to go with the climate change version because, for one, ever since 2007, when 80% of the white bark pine trees were eliminated, there's been a sharp, almost exponential rise in the number of grizzly bears being shot by humans. And also because ever since 1992, a decade before the effects of climate change, we've known that there's a relationship between low availability of pine seeds and increased grizzly mortality. Wildlife research biologist David Matson, in 1992 published a paper showing that in years of high pine seed availability, the grizzlies did well, producing more cubs.
3: But in years of low pine seed availability, more grizzlies ended up dying. And it wasn't because bears were starving to death. It was because of how white bark pine seed availability affected where bears were relative to people. And that mattered because even with the Endangered Species Act protections, roughly 80% of all adult grizzlies have died, continue to die, because they're killed by a person, by a human. David Matson is the person in the last episode who
0: said the latest research from the grizzly bear study team amounts to a fundamental betrayal
3: of the public trust. Then he said this. My bottom line conclusion is that the grizzly bear study team has demonstrated one thing, and that is that they can bury us in bullshit if they want. Matson used to work for the study
0: team. He got hired in 1979 as a lowly field technician straight out of college with a bachelor's degree in forestry but then he fairly quickly rose to being the director of all field research for the study team because he was by all accounts a gifted scientist who spent most of every year from march to october camping out in the wilderness studying grizzly bears
3: it was bliss actually uh, to be there not just with the bears in such an um, incredibly beautiful place, to be, be there in an area so remote from the rest of humanity. Um, high elevations in whitebark pine forests this time of year with the lowering fall light and the squirrels, red squirrels chattering in the background, um, defending their territories, harvesting the cones, um, the nutcrackers chattering as well sharing space, not only with those animals, but also with grizzly bears, which really had this almost supernatural presence. Even though you didn't see them often, hardly at all, in a white bark pine forest, you knew they were there. You saw a sign of their passing everywhere. It was and is a spiritual kind of experience of of feeling so profoundly connected, and not only with nature but just in beauty.
0: But then, in 1993, the year after Matson published that paper, he started thinking that his boss at the study team was overinflating the number of grizzlies in the ecosystem, under pressure from the Fish and Wildlife Service, because the Fish and Wildlife Service wanted to take the bear off the list of endangered species as early as 1993. When Matson went from thinking this to actually talking about it in public, his boss tried to shut him down.
3: My boss, he came into my office while I was gone and um, removed all, all of my data out of the filing cabinets, um, erased um, the hard drive on my computer, um, instituted a program of reading all my ingoing and outgoing mail, prohibited all travel on my part and confronted me in our break room and said uh, it's time for me to real be a real son of a bitch and he he made it absolutely clear it was because of things that i had been publicly saying that countered what he had been saying so in 1993
0: under pressure from his boss matson left the study team in order to pursue a doctorate in wildlife ecology. Today, he's a visiting senior research scientist and lecturer at Yale's School of Forestry and Environmental Sciences, but he lives near Livingston, Montana. Matson's description of what happened to him with the study team back in the 90s was well-documented and supported by investigative reporter Todd Wilkinson, who wrote about Matson in his book, Science Under Siege.
4: Well, so I looked at it and uh, Matson was raising questions. And uh, I think everybody who knows Matson knows that when it comes to grizzly bears and congealing information, he has profound insight into things. And so the more that I looked into this, I saw that Matson was being persecuted uh, for speaking out basically as a whistleblower. And so there were people on both sides. I actually liked both people on both sides. But it was the stuff that was happening to Dave Matson, as he wanted to just raise big picture uh, questions that he ended up being punished and he suffered for. So there are questions that Matson and others have raised that have not been adequately answered. And I, I'm not saying that from the point of view of an activist or a bare advocate. I'm saying this from the perspective of a journalist that I think are really important.
0: The questions that are still unanswered today, according to Matson, have to do with the study group's recent research that says the Greater Yellowstone Grizzly is not being affected by climate change. This is the work that Matson says is such bad science that it amounts to a betrayal of the public trust, that it's an attempt to bury us in bullshit. Matson has problems with the methods used in the study team's research, like, for instance, how they counted bears by flying overhead, a pilot looking down.
3: The method they've used is highly susceptible to increased search effort and increased sightability of bears. In other words, if you look for bears more and if they're easier to see, you will see more bears, whether there are more bears there or not. Matson says the study team missed 60% of the white bark pine trees in the ecosystem. That's non trivial. They missed 60% of the places where we know white bark pine occurred in sufficient numbers to support feeding by grizzly bears. And then,
0: according to Matson, the study team only counted pine trees, not the
3: actual pine crop, which varied from year to year. Bears don't eat pine trees, they eat pine seeds. So it's not the aerial extent of whitebark pine forest that matters. It's the abundance of cones available during any given year, which are hugely variable. It turns out that during a period of time when they were saying that whitebark pine was super abundant in their analyses, we actually had a pine seed famine. So they got it ass-backwards. What they were calling a drought, a a time of abundance was a drought, and what they were calling a drought was actually a time of abundance. Then there's the study team's explanation for why people are seeing more bears now, the density
0: effect, that there's a greater density of bears inside the ecosystem and they're spilling over into new terrain, terrain inhabited by humans. One problem with this explanation is that all studies indicate the number of bears in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem has remained constant since 2001.
3: There's no evidence to support the claim that there are more bears now. So we haven't had any increase in the population to speak of since the early 2000s for the last 14-15 years. No increase, possible decline. So we've got as many bears, let's be generous and say we've got as many bears now as we did back around 2001-2002. It is also unambiguously the case that those bears are distributed over an area that's roughly 40% larger. So you take the same number of bears, spread them out over an area that is nearly half again larger. All you need is a little grade school arithmetic to realize densities axiomatically have to decrease. So how can increasing density be causing much of anything? I mean, if you in fact look at... The means by which Van Manen and company have estimated density—it is the most arcane assumption-ridden method you could imagine. That is a a very strong charge, and um, study team director Dr. Frank Van
1: Manen. That's that's a, a, a strong. Uh, critique for sure, and uh, all I can say is that uh, look at the papers that we publish in uh, all these all these results that we talked about have been published in peer reviewed journals um, If he's claiming that all those journals have an issue and problems with with the peer review process, that would be a, quite an extraordinary claim. I feel like we have enough data to and 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 have done enough analysis to 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 interpret and, and, and suggest that bears so far have responded well to the, to the changes in, in food resources and uh, I'm convinced that, that we will stay ahead of, of any changes that might occur as
0: a result of, of future climate change, uh, any other factors. As it stands now, the Fish and Wildlife Service accepts the study team's work as the best available science and is planning to delist the greater Yellowstone grizzly before the end of the year <coughs> to me, I think we should put ourselves on the list of endangered species. <coughs> I asked Doug peacock to tell me what's really going on so why are the why is the fish and wildlife proposing to delist the grizzly bear
2: to show they believe that they have worked so hard and done such an earnest job for so long that they deserve a little taste of victory. Is to say, we have recovered the grizzly. You know that that means you can walk away, you can quit managing, you can pat yourself in the back and say, you know, we recovered the grizzly, and it's not their fault. I really feel sorry for them sometimes because. They didn't know that uh, the plant was going to warm up. They didn't know the forests were going to burn. They didn't know bark pines were all going to die. And they, a lot of them did the best they could. But they didn't know the world was going to change physically on them so much. And the, the, the politics that have driven this are mainly their state's rights states rights the state rights issues it's the people of sagebrush rebellion the Bundys, everybody that says we want to take back our land and the state of Wyoming has just been nagging the interagency grizzly committee for a decade maybe longer decades nagging them to open hunting season that's what they want on the bears yeah and the states of montana and idaho are much better But, you know, the pressure is to, they want to control their animals. It's all about, it's about control. You don't want an independent wild animal out there with, you know, with a sense that it's an entity unto itself. What you want is a managed animal, you know, one with a radio collar on it ideally. But something you can control, and that's, it's about control. The states want to own the bears so they can control them and hunt them. And the only result, the one unmistakable, unavoidable, result of delisting will be trophy grizzly bear hunting and it will not just be people with a permit killing a grizzly the there's already a culture where you know a hunter all he has to do is say well that bear i didn't like the way it was looking at me and so i had to i shot it it's self-defense that's all i need to do that will be increased 10 times over so basically anybody can shoot a grizzly anytime for any reason and that will be the culture that will bring down a, that, that's what will change the hunting season with permits and a 200 dead grizzlies in a year.
0: Management of the Greater Yellowstone Grizzly is supposed to be about science, but it's not about science. So enough of science. In the next episode, we'll talk to people who are in favor of trophy hunts, like Harold Turner, owner of the Triangle X Dude Ranch in Jackson Hole,
2: Wyoming. You might say the redneck philosophy is what made this country the greatest country in the world. And we as a society now, I think, have, have gone so far the other way.
0: I'd like to thank my co-producer, Liza Lichtenfeld, for helping with the editing, Jennifer Jarrett and Yellowstone Park for the audio recording of the grizzly bear, also, Andrea Peacock at Elk River Books in Livingston, Montana, and Shona Campbell. Check out our website, homebrave.com, for photographs of the trip and links to books about grizzly bears by Todd Wilkinson and Doug Peacock. Homebrave.com has drive through coffee, Tibetan monk boys who run it out to your car. Black, no milk, no sugar, no frappuccinos. It's homebrave.com and there are buttons to push to donate, subscribe, or purchase Home of the Brave t-shirts, patches, and tote bags. Thanks to everybody who's donated so far. You're keeping the show on the road and on the air. Thanks for listening.